You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, everyone, welcome to Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. We uh, we were going to do the all-time first base on Monday. I want to remind everyone it's another three, um, three days this week instead of five. This will be the last one of those. But... Um, I want to talk about some of the things that kind of came out, some of the things that were announced, some minor moves, of course, not relating to the Indians. We, we went in depth on what the Indians had done um, in terms of their own minor moves on Friday's show. So instead, I thought we'd talk about, you know, there's some interesting things um, with the competitive balance stuff being official at this point, a few other um, minor additions to the uh, to teams. So let's get into it one of the another guy from my all free agent team signed brandon kinsler was pretty effective last year and he's getting three million this year and two hundred fifty thousand as a buyout so i thought that is a hell of, heck of a deal however we want to put it for miami i thought he's the second best reliever left on the market um it's it's kind of a steal for them at that price so the marlins get that they're also one of the two teams rumored to be in on pedro stroop it's uh, i believe the rangers and the marlins so they're trying to go out and add some guys. Now, I think this is smart. Why is it smart? It's an exceptionally cheap deal on a reliever. And if you are a bad team, there are always teams shopping for relievers at the deadline. So if Kinsler performs well, they're going to get a lot more than the, let's say, $2 million that they have to pay. Uh, maybe they'll pick up some of that money a little bit more to get uh, better value. But the heart of this is, is teams are always looking to add relievers. If Kinsler is effective, they'll be able to trade him and generate a positive, you know, cost to asset deal with him. So that uh, I thought that was a, a wise move. We talked about, of course, some of the other moves, but I had missed that the Cubs finally made a deal. They cleared a man up space on their 40 man to add Steven Souza, who's just been hurt. I thought he was an interesting guy. We talked about him when they had uh, all the designated for assignments. It's been a while since he was effective and healthy, but as a, a cheap ad for the Cubs, it makes sense. I mean, they've been they've been worse than the Indians when it comes to uh, to maneuvering this off season. So I don't even know if they announced what Souza's uh, getting. It'll be Chicago's first uh, major league contract of the off season. I, I don't have the specifics in front of me, but again, he has been hurt for a while. There is good right-handed power there. He was a a strong offensive producer before he got hurt and Cubs are taking a, you know, likely a low cost gamble. So for the next two pieces, I'm going to, uh, these are from MLB trade rumors who aggregated some things that just makes my life easier. I thought this was kind of fun looking at the free agent spending by American league teams. Top five probably shouldn't be surprised as this is just total money spent. And that is Yankees, angels, white Sox, twins. Well, I guess the fourth might be surprised if you weren't paying attention and then the blue Jays. It goes Rangers at six. I think Astros at seven are a bit of a surprise. Eight for the, or I did, I meant to say seven is Tigers, Tigers, unless I messed that up. Eight Astros. Nine are the Rays. Another kind of interesting. Red Sox at 10. 11 for the Athletics. 12 for the Royals. Indians at 13. So the Indians only beat the Orioles and the Mariners, two of the teams that were last in their division and two of the worst teams in baseball. The own worst team in their own division beat them. Uh, yeah, it's just, I know people are like, well, you don't spend to spend, but I'm like, 
Brandon Kinsler for $3 million would have made the Indians better, and that would have pushed them at least ahead of the athletics, you know, in terms of spending. Uh, because it's not just that the Indians didn't spend, it's that their total salary actually went down this year before the Kluber deal. And then the Kluber deal, uh, they saved a significant amount of money in addition, and then they're just doing nothing with it. And that's why I have, again, some issues with the way things are being handled right now. But yeah, it's... Uh, Six point two five million. That's all they've spent, um, and they've they've already again dropped significantly after being promised last year. That was one of the things. Like, oh no, we had to lower, but this is about where we'll stay. Now they've had to lower again. And if you listen to the all of last week's podcast, you know, just to, to recoup um, the fact that Dolan had the gall to double down on enjoy him while he's here for Lindor. Talked about the real fans by luxury boxes uh, and suites. I mean, it's just, and then there was another really asinine statement from him, and he needs somebody to step up and just tell him to shut up because it's just, I support the front office. I think the people who work there do a great job. I mean, in all areas of working there, not just people in the front office. But Dolan is cutting money, cutting money, and making statements that make him impossible to like. So let's move on. Um, I did want to talk about one other free agent signing that I forgot about it. Rafael Dolis. Now, not a big name. And he was actually pretty terrible in his first few chances in the minors. He is 32 years of age. But he went to Japan. And good strikeout-to-walk ratio. Worked as a reliever. And it's another like $1 million, I want to say. It's the second or third guy that uh, Toronto signed from Japan. They went out. And they added some low-cost players who would perform well. It's an interesting approach. Um, let's just put it at that. I mean, if it doesn't work out, it really costs them nothing. If it does, that's awesome. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes for the uh, the what the Blue Jays are doing. But they are doing some interesting things in terms of just. I mean, they signed a ton of guys in the offseason. They're adding depth everywhere. But yeah, so let's jump on over. So. The let's talk about MLB.com. Uh, they they do the best they can. It's a small group. Um, they kind of rely on others, but they release their top 100 prospect list, and it's always fun to look at this. Um, Nolan Jones slotted in at 42nd here. Now, what's a little bit interesting is I feel like their top positional prospect uh, ranks do not match up with their final ranks over here. Um, so I don't know what that's, again, that's one of those things where you work on something and you're working on something in the background. And as you're kind of digging deep onto someone, it might change your opinion, but you already have things laid out or promised. Who knows? But at the end of the day, you know, 42nd is, is Nolan Jones as a third baseman between uh, Cabron Hayes at 41 and Christian Robinson uh, at 43. Go down, there's some interesting guys. Alec Thomas was a guy I was really high on a few years ago. Nico Horner is one of those guys I don't quite get. I feel like Luis Campa, Camposano is a good catcher, but he's almost put at 50 just in case he's traded. So it's like, oh, hey, yeah, one of our top 50 guys got traded. It makes, I mean, I'm lying. I don't really think that they would uh, push their rankings that way. But that is just one of those ones that I'm like, really, that high? Or Josh Jung at 55? It's one of those things where I 100% believe if Josh Jung goes where he was expected to go in the 20s and not in the top 10, he wouldn't be in the top 100. It's interesting how those things play out. For all the hype on uh, Jason Dominguez, 54, I mean, Kevin Metien, who's the guy I reference all the time, was the last guy who kind of had that that pie-in-the-sky value and hype and pay. Uh, he was like a top 30 guy. So, again, we're seeing that shift where people are like, eh, I don't know, Hunter Green down to 53. I've talked about him a bunch this year. 
and then you keep going looking for oh who's going to be the next Indians guy who's going to be uh, got to point out in the top 67 players are both of the guys that the Reds traded away a year ago for Puig and um, Alex Wood so that that really worked out well uh, a lot of catchers on the list it's interesting how many we see I'm not quite as sold on some of the guys uh, I talked about Brandon Marsh earlier with is it possible Indians deal he's sitting there at 79 Still waiting for our second Indian at this point. We'll see. Tyler Freeman at 96 um, slots in as your second Indian. And that's it. Um, Seth Corey is another guy I talked about kind of at length. If you read my stuff, I was pretty big on high, pretty high on him. And he's he's really kind of come around and come through. It's, it's interesting to look through this list and see how many, like, twins there are, how many um, – guys from tampa there are you can certainly see certain systems are extremely top heavy and others like the red sox have one player uh in their top 10 i think the most surprising is nate pearson who i've talked about before with toronto where yeah i get it he's the prototype but the performance has never quite matched the stuff and that's always a concern but for the most part uh you know there's a few guys i'm like i'm surprised christian pache is a little lower i talked about some of the guys i'm surprised are a little higher on the list and I think MLB does a good job in general. I think they do the best they really can as kind of a smaller group because you have to rely on outside people. I've done this like once before, um, and it's not fun because you're just, I didn't see this guy, but I'm hearing things. What can you tell me? Um, do you have any clips you can send me? And then you're looking at that, you're looking at the numbers. It's a pretty thankless job, and you, you're you going to miss more than you hit, and it is a difficult job. So they're, they're doing the best they can, but... I think what we all fall guilty to, and I've talked about you know, my theory on, on this and how you can inflate player values, is um, draft position matters. Like Even if a guy signs for well under slot, if they are a higher pick, they're going to be higher ranked than maybe, uh, for instance, Will Benson and Nolan Jones signed for virtually the same amount of money, but they were not typically back-to-back in the Indians' prospect rankings the year after they signed. Now, I actually had Jones ahead of Benson, um, but most places it's like Benson a few spots than Jones, and that's just because of positional of the draft. And I, I find that kind of fascinating. It'd be one of those things someone smarter than me could do a a study on, where your draft position still will carry you higher than maybe performance has shown. Like Kyle Wright's down to fifty two. He hasn't been that strong in the majors. Um, it's interesting that you know he was in the twenties a year ago. We're seeing the beginning of a drop. We'll see if that continues. And there, there's some other guys where you kind of look at, dra- like Daniel Lynch should be higher than Brady Singer, but Singer was taken before Lynch and widely viewed as a higher pick in some places. Uh, so it's that's what we see. Sometimes it's not about performance and it's not about really ceiling. It's about with lists like these, and I know I've fallen guilty to it myself, it's um, it's draft position and if with international players, how big the bonus was. So just something to keep in mind. The MLB one is always nice, though, because it is free for all to read. So let's talk about some draft order. With the Zuna signing, we now have all 10 players that uh, were offered the qualifying offer taken care of. Um, So, again, MLB trade rumors is where I'm getting this rather than calculating it myself because it's easy. So they've kind of listed how it'll go. So the order of the picks is determined by uh, worst record to best record. Makes it pretty easy, right? So the Giants get two in a row at 68 and 69 from Bumgarner and Smith. The Mets get 70 for Wheeler. The Cardinals get 71 for Azuna. The Nationals get 72 for Rendon. Braves get 73 for Donaldson. Astros get 74 for Garrett Cole. If you're keeping track at home, you're like, that's only, that's only seven, eight guys, right? Because we're going to just go ahead and say that, you know, the eighth is... Oda Rizzi. So 
that's why he's not getting it. Um, nine is Abreu, who signed, and then ten is Steven Strasburg, who re-signed with the team that offered it to him. So that's why you only get those seven. Now, I think what's kind of more fun than where those picks begin is uh, what other teams lost for those picks. The one does have to point out that that 74th overall pick will be the Astros' first pick in next year's draft because of the uh, penalties put on them. So let's go into the Yankees. Um, since they exceeded their luxury threshold, they're going to lose their second and fifth and a million dollars in international um, signing money. The Astros, um, as a revenue-sharing recipient, it's kind of funny because like the Diamondbacks are in Phoenix, which are a top 10 uh, city in the United States, I believe, in terms of population and size, yet they get revenue sharing. Um, so the, the Diamondbacks would give up the third selection, which is actually their second round pick because they have a comp uh, competitive balance pick this year as well. So that means that, hey, if you're an Indians fan, the Diamondbacks signing of Bumgarner. Um, so the Yankees signing Cole means they lose a second. The Diamondbacks signing Bumgarner means they lose a second. So the Indians second just gained two spots. The Twins uh, have to give up their fourth highest pick uh, instead of their third highest pick. Uh, so they're not giving up anything to the third round. And it's because I, their competitive balance round B aren't eligible to be forfeited. So the Twins, it this is where things get weird because they have a, a, those comp, it turns out those competitive balance picks you can't forfeit anymore. Now there's a time where you could. The Indians forfeited one of those the year they signed Bourne and Swisher, but you can no longer forfeit those picks. So uh, the Twins get to keep their comp B pick. They won't lose anything until the third round, so very little for them. The Angels didn't hit the luxury tax last year, so that's why this changes for them. So they only have to give up their second rounder and some international money. That means the Indian second rounder has now moved up three spots. Same deal for the Phillies. Indian second rounder has now moved up four spots. The Braves signed Will Smith and Marcel Ozuna. That means they have to give up their second and third rounders and a million dollars in international money. So that is five spots moved up in the second round. You go through and you add in the Astros. Uh, Their second round pick doesn't affect the Indians, but their first round pick affects the Indians comp pick and the Indians second rounder. So the second rounder as of now moved up six spots to from where um, it was expected to fall and their comp pick moved up one spot. So that's when you look at the overall, the way things work, I mean, that's going to give the Indians probably close to half a million more in pool money just from the way these things fell out this year. Uh, the interesting thing is the Braves are still, you know, the Braves paid a higher price for their whole situation than the uh, the Astros did for cheating. Um, you know, one of the things, as we point out, when you say that is uh, Copy, who was the GM there, uh, refused to cooperate, and that's part of the reason why he got the lifetime ban and everything else whereas Astros Houston was very cooperative. But the Braves are still um, hampered in the international market at this point. They still have um, less money to spend. I think they only, what is it, half? I think they get half of what they're supposed to get. So their international pool money uh, is, yeah, it's reduced by 50%. So by signing a pair of players, they lost $1 million in international pool money, but they already had half. So they get half. Now you take away a million. I mean, they already weren't heavy out there because they knew they couldn't spend it is going to hurt losing second and third round picks no doubt but uh yeah it, it's kind of interesting just to see how that went is they're the only one who signed two t signed two players so that's how the draft's kind of shaken out um you know if i'm just kind of looking at this purely i believe the compensation round like i can tell you exactly right now where the indians will pick 
So right now, they're picking 23rd in the first round, um, which is still kind of annoying to me because it's based off a of final record. So that means the teams uh, that made the playoffs, like the Nationals and the Cardinals, pick ahead of them. But hey, the Indians picking at 23rd. Their competitive balance A pick is 36th overall. Their second round pick is going to be number 57 overall. Now, when we dive a little bit deep. What is interesting is, you know, you have the seven picks in the uh, compensation and six picks in comp B, so that's 13 picks there. So while they pick 57th, the the third round won't actually start until the 70th pick. But there are three less picks in that round, um, so they do get a little bit more from that as well. As a matter of fact, because of the way things fall out with draft picks, the Indians will pick in the third round immediately... Oh, this isn't right. I was looking at it wrong. But uh, the Yankees pick doesn't affect the Indians in the third round, but it does make their fourth round pick a little higher. The Twins signing Donaldson, same difference, and the Braves with Azuna. So the Indians' third round pick will be exactly where it was projected to be, more or less. Um, At the end of the day, the Indians' fourth round pick will be three spots higher. So again, that's a little bit more pool money. But we, at this point, we know. Barring... um, a team trading picks. I mean, the Indians could always add more picks. They could always trade away their 36th pick. We will have to see. Um, but outside of that, and I believe that a team, uh, basically no one's losing a first rounder this year because of um, being over the, uh, the the luxury tax two years in a row. The Yankees could be in danger of that for next year, not for this year. But as of now, this should be the order. The Indians should be 23rd and 36th. Uh, we'll, again, we'll see if they trade the pick away, if they keep it, if they acquire more, though they have never acquired an extra pick. They've only traded theirs away. So I don't see that being a, an especially big target for them. But it's, uh, you know, the draft should be the lifeblood for a team that's not willing to spend in free agency or to keep its own players. So it's very important to kind of look at this, to know this, and again, to point out that this is the deepest class I have seen in recent memory. Now, the Indians have gone for mostly prep players with their high picks recently. Um, up the middle guys defensive first uh, very young for their class types so we will see what they do or they've gone for like high ceiling arms this year's depth is 100% college arms but they've not really gone with college arms recently the last time the Indians took a college arm in the top three rounds was was actually Nick Sandlin in uh, 2018 I'd forgotten about that but he was supposed to be a quick moving reliever I think they thought would have been up there by now but Again, he was hurt for a good chunk of last year. Aaron Saval was a third-rounder in 2016. Dice Keim, a third-rounder in 2013. Jake Sisko, a third-rounder in 2011. So you're seeing a lot of third. So the last first-rounder was Drew Pomeranz in 2010. That's the last time they took a pitcher in the first round. And Pomeranz and White were actually back-to-back because White was 9 along with Gardner, another guy who was a second-round pick. Uh, 2007, they took... Uh, Jonathan Holt, which was a name I had to look up because I didn't remember him at all, and he never got past high A. And then you go back to, like, 2006, that's David Huff and Stephen Wright are their first two picks, both college guys. So it used to be kind of their bread and butter for a time there. You could go back and see they were going college, you know, college heavy in general, but college pitchers were definitely something. And then they've just kind of faded back, and they're like, the third round's a good place to take those arms. Um, So we'll see how they do if they let the draft come to them. Again, the college class is ridiculous um, in terms of arms and depth. That is where um, you would definitely, like in that second round range, maybe be looking. Maybe they'll go third round for sure, though they, again, you know, we'll see. Um, 
they have shown some of somewhat of an interest in those arms in round three, but it's going to be something to watch. And in Indians minor leagues, because it's interesting too, because we talk about how a lot of places have ta- given the Indians a top ten minor league system where they have all this crazy depth. And then we look at a lot of top 100 lists, and there's only two guys, maybe three guys. There's really nothing beyond the top two to three that even get consideration for a top 100 in most places. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing the dichotomy here, that, yeah, there's a lot of talent. But again, I'm going to give that caveat that low a, low minors talent does not equal high-level uh, bankable talent. So the Indians must keep, you know, especially these years when they get that extra first rounder as a competitive balance pick, especially because they don't seem very likely to offer um, the qualifying offer to a lot of guys, that they have to kind of hit on these. They have to hit on those talented players. They have to be able to say they get one in three. Um, you just go back to the, you know, the uh, the Aiken-Hillman-McKenzie draft, where at this point, are we sure we have a major leaguer from that group? And that was, like, voted a top-five draft at the time. So they have to keep have to keep trusting those scouts, have to keep going back, have to keep trying to find. Because if they want to hope to keep windows open, if they want to do this rolling competition, they need to hit on these picks um, at a higher percentage than most other organizations because they have no wiggle room and they have um, no extra money to get it done. So I want to thank everyone for listening um, to a depressing end of this podcast. This has been Jeff Ellis. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff MLB Draft. Draft is going to be in uh, draft. The college baseball season starts on the 13th. So we're like less than three weeks out. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I'll be doing a lot more college stuff, a lot less Indian stuff in my writing, just as a warning. Thank you for listening. And as always, go tribe.